Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, we are probably about midway through our Exiles and Aliens sermon series. So I hope that you're ready for the long haul of 1 Peter throughout the rest of the summer. We have been talking about in 1 Peter how just like the Christians that Peter was writing to. Remember, he said he's writing to exiles who are scattered in throughout modern-day Turkey. What is modern-day Turkey? He refers to them as aliens and exiles because here's the thing that was true for them and is true for us. He says, this world is not your home. This is not where you belong. You are going to a better place, but you are here for a time. It's very similar to like when the Jews were in exile in Babylon. Some false prophets were saying, you're going to come back. God's going to rescue you. You're going to come back right away. And Jeremiah said, whoa, 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 wait, no. God has these good plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. But here's what I want you to know. You are going to be in exile for 70 years. So put roots down, plant gardens, let your kids be married and given in marriage. Keep living your life in the midst of this foreign land. Work for the blessing of the city because when the city is blessed, you will be blessed. So we are in this world, but not of it. We don't just separate ourselves from the world as if nothing touches us, as if we're just so separate from it. Are we different? Yes. But God has put us here for a time. We're not just saved and then taken to heaven right away. He wants us to live this life as witnesses, as ambassadors, as missionaries. So that's what we're talking about today. So uh, we are in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read through all of the text together, and then we'll back up and go through it. So to sum up... All of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in christ will be put to shame for it is better if god should will it so that you should suffer for doing what is right rather than for what doing what is wrong for christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to god having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit Today we are continuing on that theme of living as our life as a witness in front of the world. We talked about the witness of submission. Uh, Last week we talked about the witness of marriage and the witness in marriage. Well, today we're talking about the witness of a changing life, a life in transformation. And we're specifically focusing on our attitudes. Next week we'll talk a little bit about the witness of a changing life and our uh, intentions to be holy. But today we're talking about when it comes to the attitudes of our minds and our hearts. How does the attitude that we display before the world show that Christ is real, that there's something different about us, and portray us as, I want what you have. 
Why do you have this hope? Why do you have this joy? In the midst of all that's going on, how come you have X, Y, or Z? And how can I have that? Because you see, all of our life is meant to be a witness. So we're talking about the witness of a life in transformation, a changing life by our attitudes. So let's go back just a little bit and let's look at where have we been so far in the book of Peter. One of the main themes of Peter is living as exiles and aliens. We talked about that this morning. This world is not our home, but we're put here for a purpose to be a missionary, a sent one from God to represent him. The context of this book is suffering. Almost every chapter loops back to this idea of they are suffering for their faith. They feel like they're suffering unjustly. There's trials they're going through. It's going to talk about Satan is like a roaring lion and he wants to eat you up. Suffering is one of the contexts of the Christians that are there. And the crux, like the foundation, the thing that repeats over and over that gives the strength to the letter is Jesus has been raised from the dead. You see, the disciples, they didn't make this up. For the disciples to know that Jesus wasn't risen from the dead and then to base their whole life and their whole ministry on it, they would be complete frauds, right? Why would they live a life for a lie if they, if they thought it was a lie, if they knew it was a lie, if Jesus really didn't raise from the dead? Why would they be, giving, be willing to give their lives and die for something if they knew it was false? You see, the life of the disciples and the followers of Jesus who saw him die and saw him raised from the dead is one of the best evidences of the resurrection because they knew it was true. They stake their whole life on it. And in fact, Peter is going to be crucified himself upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way Jesus was. No, I can't do that. Because he knew Jesus rose from the dead. So the theme is living as exiles and aliens. The context is these Christians are suffering for their faith. And the crux, the foundation is Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. Now the flow so far that we've been through, okay? The flow of Peter comes out of because Jesus is raised from the dead. Like that's the foundation we always need to remember. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have this certain and imperishable inheritance to come that we're waiting for it. It's reserved for us. We're protected for it. That doesn't mean that tragedies don't happen, but it does mean that the inheritance for the Christian is protected, reserved, and we're shielded so that we will receive that one day, no matter what happens in our life. This is the basis for our hope and joy. Because we know that no matter what happens in this life, there is something to come that can't be taken away. It can't decay. It can't pass away. It's imperishable. So we remember that we hold on to that. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have a new identity, right? Living stones built up together. We're the church we, where Jesus is worshipped and glorified. And out of that new identity, we have actions. Therefore, how shall we live? And the main idea of that is to be a witness to the world and how we live and what we say and what we do. So this is a big picture of Peter. So looking at our text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to look at three words to sum up. And we go, okay, what are we summing up Peter? So let's look back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We've got to go back here because this, this is still the context for the text that we're looking at today, okay? Our new identity. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, 
but now you're the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look, you have this new identity of God's people. You're to proclaim it. How do we do that? Next verse, okay? Beloved, can you, can you get his heart? Like this is, Peter's been a pillar of the church for a long time. And he says, beloved, I love you. I understand what it's like to walk in this Christian life. I urge you as aliens and strangers, exiles and aliens, abstain from the fleshly lust which wage war against your soul. He says, look, I know as humans, I'm a human too. Yes, I knew Jesus. I still struggle with this, okay? The desires of our flesh wage war against us, but I urge you, this is not your home. So, so abstain from that. And what, what you say no to that and you say yes to, keep your behavior excellent, your manner of life. Your whole way of life excellent among the Gentiles. Why? So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. Like they look at you and they think you're evil and they don't understand you. Well, guess what? At the end of time, they're, gonna, they're going to, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, as they watch them, they're going to glorify God in the day he visits. This is the context for the next couple chapters of Peter. And the next verse there is, submit yourselves. Why? Put yourself under... For the Lord's sake to every human institution. We talked about government. We talked about employers and employees. Back there it was slaves and masters. We talked about husbands and wives. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives. And then he says to sum it all up. That's why. To sum it all up. And the word there is telos. Which, can anybody think of some words that we have that have the word telos in it? Telescope, okay? Because telos means end or perfect it's like if i had this telescope okay it doesn't work so well when it's like this but put it all the way out it's the end goal the perfection that's in mind okay so he says to sum it all up to get to the very end of it be all of you be harmonious sympathetic brotherly kind-hearted and humble in spirit what this passage right here is about is in the midst of your witness of submission this is the attitude you're supposed to have Yes, we could throw this out on the wall and be like, this is what we should be like. Yes, we should. But he's saying in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of these institutions that you submit to, here's how you are supposed, here's your attitude. This is the attitude of one whose life is in transformation, whose life is changing. So let's look at some of those words. Because here's the thing I want you to get. We often see passages like this when he's talking about, this is how you are to love the brothers and sisters, Right? But this passage is this is how you are to love and live in front of a watching world. So let's look at this. First of all, he says, I want you to be harmonious. Uh, if we can go back one more. I want you to be harmonious, okay? That word harmonious means to be like-minded, to have the single mind, to have the same focus. I, I want you to be harmonious with those that are around you. The next one is sympathetic, okay? That word sympathetic literally means to suffer with to enter into the suffering of those around you. Like not just to offer like platitudes and words, but to feel, try to feel what they're feeling. And that's the example of Christ. That's the example of God. Like he didn't just save us by staying up in heaven unaware of what was going on. Like God became man, right? And dwelt among us. He understood what it was like to live here. He entered into our suffering. He took our punishment. He incarnated in, as a human so that he could suffer with and suffer in place of us. That's what that word means. 
So yes, among the brothers and sisters of Christ, we weep with those who weep. Scripture says when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. But as Christians, we should not just be numb to the hurts that we see in the world. God wants us to be willing to enter into that suffering, to feel, and to let that compel us to action. The next word is brotherly, and that's a word we get brotherly love from. To, to love one another in the family as brothers and sisters in Christ, but because this is talking about how we live in front of the world, to love your fellow human as a fellow human, right? To treat one another with dignity. Even the person who is living the life that is most against God's will has the image of God in them. And we can love them and honor them as one who is a bearer of the image of God. And seek to, by the love that God has for them through us, seek to show them what God is like. So we want to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. That word can mean tender-hearted. Okay, this, this is kind of a fun one. It literally means this, okay? Good or strong bowels. That's what that word means, okay? And you may be like, that's really weird. Why would they say that, okay? Because in the Hebrew thought, like, it wasn't your heart that had the tender and compassion. You felt it here in your gut. So have you ever, like, experienced something that is just like, um, maybe you see something that was tragic or you've seen somebody get hurt or something. You just had this, like, ooh, in your stomach. You ever felt that before? Like, you're just like, ooh, yeah, okay? That's what it means, you have this intense pity, this tender-heartedness that you feel in your gut. That's what it means, from the gut. So he says, I want you to be tender-hearted to those around you, to allow yourself to feel deeply. Now, that word, it's, it means, yeah, it's, it's good. It's a compound word. It's oo, which is good, and a word that's splagnos, which means guts. Now, there's a really cool word I like in the Greek. It's splagnitsomai. It's fun to say. Well, let's try it. I'm gonna, I'll say it, and then you guys say it. Splagnitsomai. Okay, now you try it. One, two, three. Splagnitsomai. It's fun. Okay, Greek can be fun. Hebrew can be even more fun. I don't know much of it, but Hebrew is like, like that. You're going to be really guttural when you say those things. Okay, said. Okay, that's the only word I know in Hebrew. It means God's loving kindness. Splagnitsomai is this. This is where we, we, we get it in scriptures, okay? It's when Jesus saw the crowd... And he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. He had splagnitsomai for them. So he's going to teach them and he's going to feed them. It's what uh, the good Samaritan had when he saw the man lying on the road. A Jew. A Jew who would not help him because he was a Samaritan, was lying on the road, beaten, left for dead. And the good Samaritan had splagnitsomai, this compassion from the gut that compelled him to act, to take care of an enemy. It's what Jesus had when he was walking through uh, the village of Nain and a widow was walking in the funeral procession of her only son. She'd lost her husband already. Her son had died and Jesus had splagnitsomai for her. He had tender-hearted compassion and he went up to the dead body that they were carrying and he, he touched the dead body and the man came back to life. In the, par- in the parable of the prodigal son, Splagnitsomai is what God the Father has. The Father has. When he sees his son from far off, and when he sees him, the son that had said, Dad, I just wish you were dead. Can I just have my inheritance now? That's basically what he said. And then wasted that inheritance. And he wasted it not like because he made like a bad investment that could have gone well. He wasted it because he partied and he did all the sinful things. And he finally comes back and the father has splagnitsomai on him. And he runs out 
to welcome his son home. That's what tender-hearted means. That's why we see here in Ephesians chapter 3, it's the same word. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, having good splagna, forgiving each other just as who? Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, God desires us to be harmonious, to be sympathetic, to enter into the suffering of others, to be brotherly, and to reflect his splagnizomai of that compassion and pity that compels us to action. Finally, is to be humble in spirit. And that idea of being humble in spirit doesn't mean that you just put yourself way, way down low and you're like, I'm just going to be like a welcome mat. No, when it, humility in the scriptures is this idea. You view God in an accurate way. God's big, right? God's perfect. God's holy. God's just. And we realize, you are God. I am not. And who am I to compare myself with somebody else? Because but for the blood of Jesus Christ, we're all condemned. So we view God accurately and we view ourselves accurately in a humble way. Humble ourselves before God and we trust him. We don't have to raise ourselves up. That's what it means. That's the, this is the attitude that God wants to cultivate within us. Yes, within this part of the church. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the church as family. Because we get that all throughout the scriptures. There is a special love to be here among brothers and sisters in Christ. To love like Jesus loved us. And he said that like 12 to 24 hours before he's hanging on the cross. Love one another like I have loved you. And then he's dying on the cross. That's the love we're supposed to have for one another. And Peter is saying, I want you to show this love and this attitude in the midst of those that are around you. As a witness to the world. So, so how, how, can we, how can we do this? I was just thinking some this week. Like, how, what are some ways that we can do this? I, I love Mike's testimony of here's opportunities God had for him to be a witness. And I want to challenge us. This will be some of the so what's. In your everyday week, okay, how can you be intentional to allow these attitudes to flow out to those around you? So I was just thinking this past week, like uh, I have the opportunity to play soccer uh, once a week and it's a lot of fun. And, and, um, and I think God has given me the ability to play soccer and it's a way that I get to worship him. So how do I worship him on the field? I play hard, okay? I want to win. I like to win. I play hard. I don't just play for fun. I want to worship God as I play. That means I do my best to display these attitudes. Am I perfect in it? No. But I just was thinking, how, do I, how can I play soccer in a way that shows I'm a Christian? And so some, these are just some of the ways that, that I do, okay? And I want to learn and grow in this. Some of it's just we're playing the game. I, I just inter- introduce myself to the center defender. I'm playing forward. He's playing defense. So, uh, hey, I'm Jason. Good luck. Something like that, you know? I like to talk to the referees. Okay, somebody joked beforehand, yeah, you're trying to butter up the referees. No, I'm grateful they're here playing, that, they're playing, that we're playing and they're refing. I want to make their task a good one because you know what? Referees sometimes, sometimes nobody likes them. So how can I be a blessing to them in my attitude? How can I be a blessing to the other team in, in how I play? Of my teammates. Our, the other day we were going out to eat and, and I just was thinking, how can I be a blessing to this waiter, the waitress that we had? And so I just, I, I try to use her name anytime I thanked her to show her that I, I saw her. We, she's not just a person busting the table or clearing this. Hey, thank you so much. And I said her name. Those are little ways that we can do. How can we be gracious when we don't get our way? That can be hard sometimes. You're waiting for food and you're hungry. 
Like, and, and those are like small things. But I want you to think, in your every week life, how can you let those attitudes be in you so they flow out? Where are the places that you're around that you can be gracious to somebody else? Another example, we were out going thrift shopping. We love secondhand stores. They're great, okay? Especially when you've got kids and they need clothes and all that stuff. <clears throat> and they rang up about half our stuff and then the computer froze, right? And we had to, we had to redo the whole thing. And um, we had been out for a while. We had had brunch, so it was like getting closer to dinner time. So like, I'm hungry, I'm ready to go. And I wanted just to kind of be impatient about it because I can be impatient and rude, Okay. And God helped me. No. How can I show these attitudes? Help take the stuff off the clothes, get them ready and everything like that. And God helped me in that. You know what? I'm not always like that, okay? Uh, give another example. Uh, I was, uh, we were on vacation for a couple days this week, and I had got our car ready so we could just pull out when it was time to go. Well, somebody was working in the house next door, and they had pulled in front of me. A little thing, but I just was like, I had it all set up so I, nobody would have to move their car. And, you know... So I'm like, I just got to not be, uh, you know, uh, selfish and prideful about that. But it was a struggle because I was like, I had it all set up. And, and, and. Okay, we're humans. Yeah. But how can we be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit? And then the next part. So that's how he, what he wants us to do. So still in the same verse, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Like that's the way of the world, right? And not just the way of the world, that's the way of humans. Okay, somebody messes with you. What is your first instinct? I'm going to get them back. Okay, it is. Somebody knocks me down in a game. My first instinct in my mind is like, I'm going to knock them down. Sometimes I've done that. Sometimes I haven't. But that's our first instinct, right? Somebody says something mean to us. We're going to say mean back to them or maybe not to them, but to whoever's next. Right. That's part of being. That's our nature. So he says, look, I want you to have these attitudes. And look, when someone gives you evil, don't give evil back. When someone insults you, don't insult them back. Give a blessing instead. That's easier said than done, right? Somebody says something mean to you, and you say a good word back to them. Or you pray for them. But that's what God wants us to do. Why? Get this. For you were called for the very purpose. He says, look, you were called to be a blessing to others in the midst of suffering and you're going to inherit a blessing, that you may inherit a blessing. So I want you to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, tender-hearted, humble in spirit. When someone is evil to you or they insult you, don't throw it right back at them. Give them a blessing instead. Let the world see that there is something different about you because Christ lives in you. Why? So you look good? No. So the world may see your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. Our attitudes can be a witness to the reality of Christ. And you know, when we get it wrong, our apologies can be a witness to Christ. Because we get it wrong sometimes, right? And when we are able to say, hey, I'm sorry for how I treated you or what I said that was wrong on me. Will you forgive me? That shows that Christ is in us. So let's continue on. Verse 10, 11, and 12. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 34, okay? For the one who desires life and to love and see good days. Like, that should be all of us, right? Like, we desire life. We desire love. We desire to see good days. God says this. 
Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's leave that up there just for a little bit. So he says, look, if you desire the good things of life, to have life, to love, and to see good days, this is how you are to live. It's moving from attitudes to this is how it shows up. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And and the words in here, I, I think they're stronger in the Greek. Like it's like cease speaking evil. And, and shun evil, turn away, do good. Stop speaking deceitfully. You know, it's, it's really easy for us as humans, we want to put ourselves in the best light, right? So we often like, here's the truth, and we kind of do this with it sometimes, so that we look better. Anybody, I mean, right? I'm not the only one that's done that before. Here's the truth, how can we share it in such a way that makes us look better out of it? And Peter is saying, look, God wants us to keep our tongue from evil. He wants us to speak words of life. He wants us not to be deceitful, deceiving, trying to make ourselves seem better than what we are. He wants us to shun, to turn away from evil and to do what is good. Then it says he wants us to seek peace and pursue it, to crave peace, to seek after it and to pursue it. And that word for pursue in the negative is persecute. It's a strong word. It's not just like pursue peace. It's like be intentional and pursue peace. Romans chapter 12 says, as long, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, if at all possible, be at peace with all men. That's what God wants to grow in us. Now, it's not always possible to be at peace with everybody, right? It goes both ways. But the Bible says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Pursue it. Pursue it with intensity. So you see, God wants to grow his, his new attitudes in us as our life is changing and transforming so we don't just give back the evil that's thrown at us. He wants to help clean up our tongues, that we speak what is right and true and good and lovely and admirable, that people see that we're different, that we would seek diligently and intentionally peace, to seek the good. Why? Because we're called to be witnesses, ambassadors, and missionaries. In verse 13, he says this. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? If you're a zealot for what is good. Again, it's a strong word. It shows the intentionality. We don't just coast through life and do these things. It's like a marathon runner who is preparing for a race. Like that's the attitude we should have to try to live for God every day. Not to earn our salvation, no, but to live it out, the gift we've been given. So he says, look, if you are a zealot for what is good, who's going to harm you? And then if we look at the next verse, people may, we may be like, well, but we still, people do wrong things to us even though we do good, right? Okay. Uh, another soccer story. A guy knocked me down in the penalty box and he followed me. He did. The other team was all mad. They thought I flopped. I didn't. That time I did not. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. He knocked me down. He shouldn't have. I wasn't even close to the ball. I was not going to run into the goalie, okay? I, maybe in college, yes, but I'm getting too old to do that. And I want the other person to be able to go to work the next day too. He fouled me. The whole other team were mad at me. And I'm getting ready to take the kick and they're all just chatter, 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 chatter. I didn't do anything wrong. But they're chattering about, you flopped. And blah, blah. Okay, so sometimes we do what is good or we don't do what is wrong and we still face, you know, I mean, that was a little bit of suffering, just a little tiny bit. 
But then this is what he says. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. You're happy. That's what that word means. We're like, are you sure about that, Peter? He, he's going back to Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. It's the same word. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed, happy. It's happy is, blessed are. That's what it means. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle or meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then this, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Okay, not because of a foul in soccer. Okay, because of Christ. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he says, look, if you are being persecuted for righteousness sake, you find yourself in good company. What are the prophets were not persecuted? What are the prophets were not killed? Right? So in the midst of persecution and suffering, when you can have hope, this shows that there's something different. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay? So he says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And then he says, And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. So he says, Look, you're going to suffer even though you're doing what is right. But you do not have to fear their intimidation. And you do not have to be troubled. And we go, okay, why? Let's keep reading. Here's what you're supposed to do instead. Instead of fearing their intimidation, instead of being troubled, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set Christ apart in your hearts. He's my Lord. Set him apart. That's what it means. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Now, what does this mean? Instead of being afraid and intimidated, he says, remember who your Lord is. Set apart Christ as your Lord. And he says this, always be ready. That word means incessantly, perpetually. Be ready when somebody says, hey, how come you have this hope? Hey, how come you can have joy in the midst of this? Hey, I don't understand this about you. Why are you, why are you smiling? Why are you doing this? I don't, be ready. Be ready to do what? To give an account for the hope that's in you. That word means, literally means this, to give a full account or a reason, statement, or argument. To be able to explain to somebody else why you have hope. It doesn't mean you have to know all the right words or you have to have all these definitions, but here's an encouragement. Could you share with somebody why you have hope? Could you? And if you can't, this week I challenge you to think about if somebody were to ask you, how come you have hope? How come you can get through this? How come you're acting this way? What could you say? Because this is what he says. Give an account for the confident expectation, the hope that you have. 
So how, how are we ready for that? I think we're ready as we read passages kind of like this, this next one, 1 Peter chapter 1. We, we read this a couple weeks ago. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why do we have the hope that we have in the midst? Because Jesus rose from the dead. There's a sure inheritance for us. And we're protected to receive that. The next verse we have here, 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. And fix your hope, your confident expectation completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do we live hope? How do we live hopefully in the midst? We remember our inheritance. We remember it's reserved for us and we're protected for it. And we set our hope and our expectation on the day when Christ returns and the promises are fulfilled. That's why we can have hope. And when someone wants to know why you have hope, you can put some of that in your own words. This is why I have hope. This is why things are different. Okay, let's get ready to wrap up the sermon. Last couple verses from 1 Peter. Keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So he says, even when they look at you and they're slandering you, as you live this way, you show them that, that, it's, that something is different. Then he says this in verse 17. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for what is wrong. Put in other words, Peter says, look, if you do what is wrong and you suffer, that's no better than anything else. Like you did wrong and you suffered for it. But he says, look, it's better if God should will it for you to suffer for doing what is good. Why? We go back to Jesus. For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. Why? So that he might bring us to God, make a way, redeem us. Having been put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. When we live out this way in front of the world, harmonious, sympathetic, tender-hearted, not speaking evil, being a blessing, when we do that, and when we suffer, in the midst of it, we're following in the footsteps of Christ. He's the ultimate example of unjust suffering, right? It wasn't, he wasn't suffering for himself. He wasn't suffering his sin, for his sins. He was suffering for yours and for mine. And here's the thing. His suffering, this is the gospel. His suffering for you and for me is what opened the way for us to be friends of God again to be brought close to God and saved. Perhaps the suffering you go through, the good that can be worked out of it, is that suffering and how you live in that can be an avenue for somebody to be brought before God 
because they see your witness. Why? Because Jesus really did rise from the dead. So what does all this mean for us? As our praise band comes on up, what does all this mean for us? We went through a lot of hopefully good things. So what? How we live matters. Can we put that, uh, we can just put the, the last slide up there. How we live matters. How we live in front of the watching world, it matters. It shows whether Christ is real or not almost. Jesus said it's by their love that they have for one another that they'll know, that the world will know that you're my disciples. Number two, here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to ask God for two things, okay? I want you to ask God for an attitude adjustment where it's needed. We all need that, right? There's all times that we need God's grace to give us an attitude adjustment. Number two, to ask God for intentionality and strength in living for him. How we live matters, And we can ask God for an attitude adjustment and intentionality and strength in living for him. And then finally, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think through your normal, everyday, every week life. Where are the areas of your life that you see, here's opportunities for me to show that Christ lives in me by the attitude that God imitates in me? Because you know what? This is not something you can do on your own. We say, God, will you imitate yourself in us? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. And God, I thank you for the book of Peter. And God, I need your help. We need your help. Um, God, we want to live. We, we want to have an attitude adjustment where in the midst of the up and downs of life that, that you work in us, that we display your love, your life, your spirit. So God, will you help us? Will you provide checks in our spirit when we're about to give back evil for evil or somebody insults us? God, will you give us a check so we can be a blessing? God, will you help us to be intentional about living for you, saying no to the things of the world and yes to to you? And God, in the times when we suffer, whether it seems like it's great suffering or little suffering, will you show us how these opportunities can be a way that we draw people to you? And Jesus... Thank you that you suffered for a sinner like me, like us. And thank you that you died in our place. And because of that, we can have life. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.